Okay. Good morning, all. As Matt said, my name is Ken. <laughs> Some people call me Kenneth. Um, and I'm a member here. And uh, I just want to continue the series that we've been uh, looking at in terms of amazing grace and amazing union. Um, but I'm going to start off and just say, this is my wife's Bible. It's pretty big. Um, and I was going to look for one that actually has Holy Bible in it, but can't, not one that's covered. Uh, but I was just going to say, sometimes I wonder if we really know how radical this book is. Sometimes I wonder if sometimes we forget just how radical this book is. I'm too far away from the mic. shorter if you want. Is that better? Yeah, that's cool. Thank you. There we go. All right. Technical problems all resolved. Thank you very much. Appreciate you. Um, yeah, so sometimes I wonder if we really understand how radical this is. Do we really realize how challenging it is to actually live by what's in this book? And today, really, what I want to do is I want to remind us of what it says, and I want to challenge us to do it. That's what I want to do, okay? Now, these days, it just seems like we literally cannot agree on anything, right? Everywhere we look, social media, in you know in-person meetings etc we just find a lot of division right division seems to be literally the only thing that we can actually agree on is the fact that everybody's taking sides and everybody's on different sides so today i want to talk about our common union now what common union am i referring to you might ask over there, hiding in the middle, stand up. Come on, you could do it, stand up, there you go. There is Tina. Me and Tina have a common union. All right? And the common union that we have is not the fact that we both originate from Africa, even though we have that in common. But that's not the union I want to talk about. There's another union that we have in common. And about, you can sit down if you want, yeah. If you want, yeah. <laughs> about 16 years ago, we entered into a common union. We stood in front of a crowd of witnesses and said certain vows to each other. Interestingly, each year after that on the anniversary of that date which she never allows me to forget we come together 
we remind each other, she mostly reminds me, of the vows that we took and we celebrate the union that we have in common. Yeah, it is nice. Yeah. Now, they say, after you've been married for some time, and we've been married for quite a while. Yes, I know it's 16 years. <laughs> is it 17 now? <laughs> you can see that this was well rehearsed and planned, right? Um, right, so they, <laughs> they say after you've married for some time, you, you start to kind of look like each other. I, I don't see it personally. Um, I don't think we look like each other at all. And I'm sure if we were to get a stranger in here and we were to say to them to come into the service and just based on looks, try and work out who's married to each other, that would be a proper disaster, right? Because they will fail miserably. Because the reality is we just don't look the same. But we entered into um, a marriage union, a common union in marriage, um, by choice. But that's not the union that I want to talk about today. Because the fact is there is a common union that I share with Tina, but I also share it with Matt, and I also share it with Mike, and we definitely do not look alike. <laughs> so let's go into the scriptures. In John 13, we're going to read from verses 3 to 17, and I really would encourage everybody to kind of try and get where I'm going with all this because it might not be as clear as you might think at the beginning, but it will become clear. So it's John 13, and I'll start reading from verse 3. And it says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Now he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, uh, Lord, you're going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. Nope, Peter said, you should never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who've had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. 
Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. For very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Now, most of the time, when we read through these particular examples of Jesus washing his disciples' feet, a lot of what is preached is to do with humility and it's to do with, you know, having the right kind of leadership and servant leadership. And that is all completely correct. And I'm not saying it's not. But really, what I want us to concentrate on with this um, particular verse at this time is the fact that these activities were the activities that were leading to Calvary. They were leading, these were the activities leading to Jesus' death. So Jesus here was saying he's given us an example for us to follow. But what is the example? Is the example for us to wash each other's feet? I don't think that's, you know, it, it wasn't a, a, a practical thing. It wasn't saying, oh, do this um, as well. He washed their feet and asked us to follow in the same example. And what is he asking us to do? So remember what I said at the very beginning. We, we're we're going to talk about something that's a bit radical. And my question is still the same. Are we radical enough? Are we going to do what the Bible says that we should do? Okay, so let's go. Our next verse is James chapter 5 and verse 16. So James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now, anyone who's attended our Monday prayer meeting knows that we definitely fulfill that latter part, right? We pray for each other every week. I believe maybe even every day we pray for each other. But what about the first part of those instructions? It says, confess your sins to each other. Do we confess our sins to each other? Now I know it's getting a bit quiet in the room now. So no. So before you all start looking at me like I've lost it, and before you start thinking, hang on, you know, where is he getting his theology from? Let me be clear that there's a reason that I'm going through this, okay? So j remember, James says we need to do it so that we can be healed. So I'm going to delve into another encounter that Jesus had, and that's going to be the meat, as it were, of what I'm trying to say with this. Okay, we're going to go to John 8 and read from verses 2 to 11.
So it says, at dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Now, in this encounter... The lady we see here was brought to Jesus. And they would, you know, the people who brought her to Jesus, they were, they were trying to trap him, right? And they were accusing this lady. And so she was chased by the crowd as they brought her through to Jesus. is not the best but you get the point sinner adulterer that's what they were saying that's how they were condemning her see, the crowd will always condemn you. They will call you sinner. They will call you adulterer. They will not say a woman who committed adultery. Because they want to use your sin to define you. And we all know that the wages of sin is death. So the, all, the, the crowd will always want to drive you towards death towards destruction. And that's what they were doing with this lady. Right? Now the thing is, as humans, our flesh will always want to do something when we sin. And that's because of pride. So when we sin, because of pride, this is what our flesh would 
He wants to hide. Right? So it's, it thinks we can't see it anymore. So because we can't see it anymore, it doesn't exist. But the reality is it's still there. The reality is it still affects. The reality is it's not gone away. Now, recently I was sort of watching you know, a movie about Jesus' life and th they played out this particular scene as well. So it's, you know, the, the, the lady. Uh, um, but in that particular de depiction of this particular scene, they actually showed the crowd chasing the woman, so chasing her to go and stone her. And she actually ran to Jesus. I wonder what happens if when we sin, we run to Jesus. The reality is we want to run away from Jesus. But what happens when we run to Jesus? So as you can see from the, the passage, when we run to Jesus, what does he do? Right? Because the, the, the reality of the, of the matter was when we try to hide our sin, when we try to cover our sin, we end up remaining in condemnation even of ourselves, even when there's no crowd, when nobody knows about it, even we know about it, and we start to condemn ourselves. So the interesting part is, he says, first, which of you does not sin? So the first thing that Jesus did was to expose the truth. Sin only leads to death if there's no cure for that sin. And Jesus was the only one that was actually qualified to condemn this woman. But instead, he says, where are they? Has no one condemned you? In 1 John 1 and verse 9, the Bible says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the, the crowd wants us to hide our sin. We want to hide our sin. But we only want to hide our sin if we don't understand how sin works. Sin only condemns. Sin only leads you to destruction. But when we expose it to Jesus, 
petition. But what happens is when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, it says in 1 John 1, 9. Oh, fabulous. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. And that's really the truth of the matter, is that when we go to Jesus, that's what happens. I don't use props. That's going to wind Tina up now because she likes things being very clean. So. the Tina seal of approval? Fantastic. Okay. <laughs> Romans 8 verse 1 and 2 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So Jesus says, if you, know, if you don't allow me to wash your feet, you can't be a part of me. Because he's the one that makes us clean, our whole body clean. And so when we are doing life, we get dirty. But the enemy will want us to say, hey, you're too dirty. Run away. Don't go near him. He's holy. He's too clean. He's righteous. But in reality, that's when we need to run. We run to him. And he makes us clean. So Jesus Christ unites us as he alone can make us clean by what he has already done at Calvary. And I really want you guys to let that bit sink in as well. Jesus didn't say, oh yeah, we all need to have a wash. He said, you are already clean. He declared it. Because of what he has already done at Calvary, we are already clean. And it's, I, know it's, I, I know I struggle sometimes to accept that bit. I don't need to do anything else to be clean because I'm already clean. Because he had nothing to do with me. Unless one or two of us here are more than 2,000 years old. We were literally not even there when this happened, right? So then it's because it's not based on what we've done, it's based on what he's done. When we are in that union, God doesn't look at us. He looks at him because of what he has done. So the righteousness that we have is a righteousness that's imparted to us from him. So we can't earn it. 
and we need to stop trying. Because when we do, that's what happens. We end up putting those marks on the board and then what happens? We try to turn it around. Because others are looking, we try to turn it around and we try to say, oh, you know, or, or even worse, some of us try to justify wrong things and start to say, oh, well, you know, it wasn't that bad. Oh, I, I did try. But in reality, all we need to do is just remember. We just have to remember that we have a union with Christ. When, you know, when I'm married to Tina, we, I don't make decisions on my own anymore. Now, before I got married to Tina, I made all the decisions by myself. But when, when you're married to Tina, we're one now. So when I want to do something, we have to communicate, right? So we all know about praying, and we all pray. But what about the confessing bit? Confessing one to another. The, the, the thing about confessing one to another, what Jesus was talking about is unearthing those things that the enemy wants us to hide. Because that's how we gain our power back over those things. So if you're struggling with anything, you need an accountability partner. You need somebody else that you can talk to to say, hey, boy, I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with that. But it's okay. It's not that that person will fix your problem for you. It's the reality is once you've unearthed that problem, the enemy's power to use that to bring shame, to bring condemnation is gone. And now Jesus can step in and he can work with you to get clean again. He alone makes us clean. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and it's effective. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and it's effective. I've, I've made that commitment in terms of with prayer, right? How do you come to your father? You know, how do you come and in what expectation do you come to your father? Because the truth of the matter is when I, when I have stuff on my board and I come and I turn the board around, I don't communicate with my father as I should. In fact, 90% of the time, I don't see him as a father. I see him as a judge and an executioner for me. And I ask myself, what am I doing here? I don't even have a right to be here because I'm looking at my board. But when I come to him and I open up my board, knowing that only he can make me clean, only he can handle the things that are on there, I come to him as a child. I come to him in full dependence because I know, hey, I can't handle this stuff myself but you definitely can. And thank you that you already have. And that changes the approach because first of all, I'm coming with a heart full of gratitude. What an amazing union. What an amazing father we have. What an amazing 
Savior we have. What an amazing opportunity to come before him with even more. Right? He doesn't just offer us that clean slate. He offers us even more. He offers us the opportunity to make decisions together, to partner together in what he wants to do on earth. And that is, boom. It's mind-blowing for me. Mind-blowing for me that God would even consider me, let alone that he's interested in hearing what I have to say about something as well. You know, when, um, in, I haven't got this on the slide, but when um, Adam sinned, it was interesting because he also tried to hide his sin because he was hiding himself from God. But what I found interesting and recently sort of looked at was the fact that God knew that Adam had sinned, right? Because God knows everything. But when the time came for the meeting, God showed up. It was Adam that was hiding. God wasn't hiding from Adam because he sinned. It was Adam that was hiding from God because he sinned. And so God was there to set things right. Because there was a meeting, there was an appointment that was made. God says, hey, I'm going to meet you in the cool of the evening at this time. And he turned up in spite of the fact that he knew that Adam had sinned. But Adam didn't turn up. I don't know what the story would have been like if Adam had turned up. I don't know what the story would have been like if Adam had fessed up. <laughs> right? But he didn't. So, you know, the rest is history, as they say. But the main point is God still turned up and that's the reality for all of us when we set that time to meet with God he will turn up that bit is guaranteed God will turn up the question is will we turn up and how will we turn up will we turn up free and ready and open or are we going to turn up timid and hiding trying to turn our board around that's the challenge so I did say I'm going to tell you what the Bible says <laughs> and I'm going to challenge you to do it so my challenge really is that let's do it let's do it and let's see what God does because as I said already the one thing that we're guaranteed he will turn up God bless